This is episode number six of the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast, the podcast for engaged citizens and public leaders who want to lead change through politics with their integrity intact. My name is Mark Coffin, and I am your host. We often hear people complain about politics being played as a game. People that try to bend the rules in their favor are gaming the system. If a politician is talking to reporters, they're playing an air game. If they're knocking on doors, they're playing the ground game. If they're trying to humiliate an opponent, they're playing the name and shame game. One conclusion you might draw from all of this talk of games is that we need to take the issues we face in public life more seriously. But seriousness comes at a cost. Play, after all, is an important part of the human experience, and seriousness and play seem to be at odds with one another. Is there a place for play in public life? 35 years ago, James Karsh wrote a book called Finite and Infinite Games, a vision of life as play and possibility. I first read that book about five years ago and picked it up again when we started this podcast, as I thought a conversation with James Karsh would be useful for our audience and for some questions that I've been exploring about how we approach public life. (laughs) A lot of confusion in a finite game is that we don't realize that what we're trying to win is the recognition that I am not the loser I think you think I am. (laughs) Here is my conversation with James Kars. We talked about finite games, infinite games, play, and politics. I reached him in rural Massachusetts on February 27th, 2018. Yeah, right. The the definition of the two is pretty simple. A, A finite game is a game you play to win or to advance your, your interests. Uh, an infinite game, uh, is a game you play to keep playing so that in an infinite game you try to keep and you try to keep the players from losing you try mm-hmm. to keep everyone in play in the game it's a psychologically philosophically personally a very different a way way of playing uh, the in the first in the first in, in the finite games you're really focused on the ending, whereas in an inf- infinite game, you're, you're focused on the, on the process, on the current experience of play, and so on. And mm. by play, by the way, I, I, I don't mean uh, playing at. I, mean, I really mean engaging the world uh, in, a, in a, a kind of creative, open, and we can use the word playful if we, if we are careful about how we apply it. Apply it um, in an open way, creative, especially creative. Right. It's not sort of a, a mean-spirited or kind of, yeah. I guess, immaturely childish thing, but sort of a, a a more creative, innovative kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Were these ideas that you just hadn't necessarily crystallized yet at uh, the time of writing, or before you had written it? Well, or... I did. I, I I was thinking in those terms for quite a few years. Uh, okay. But but and then uh, uh, just a, a a kind of personal note. I actually yeah. wrote a very very large manuscript, about three hundred and fifty pages or so. Uh, and with lots of footnotes and, you know, uh, a lot of very academic kind of uh, effort. Uh, then I took it, uh, it was still in a fairly raw case, raw shape. I took it to Paris for on uh, a sabbatical, spent 
uh, my sabbatical year in, in Paris. Uh, this was, oh, I don't know, way back, uh, 1980 or so. And uh, the, uh, and, but, but Paris was such a distraction that I delayed looking at the book very long. And the next mm. thing I knew, I had lost the manuscript. I never found it. It was the only copy I ever had, and it—it's it, it, how it disappeared is quite mysterious. But it, it was gone. It never, never showed up again. So I thought, okay, the hell with that idea. Uh, and I came back, and then maybe a couple of years later, uh, I sat down. And I thought, you know, I'll let, those ideas were interesting. Let me see if I can uh, just summarize them, put them out in very simple form. And mm. that—and then I sat down and I wrote this book and. I don't know, six weeks, I think, or something. It actually cooked down from a lot of very, very big uh, discussions about, you know, Marx and Nietzsche and Freud and yeah. uh, God knows who else, a lot of lot of the Greeks and so on. It reminds me of the, uh, the quote, I think it's attributed to a few different people. The one I remember it from is, is Mark Twain, that idea that I sat down to write a short letter, but I only had time to write a long one. It seems like you, <laughs> t- you took the time to write the short one. Oh yes, absolutely true. I mean, I, I, uh, I, of course, my friends have said with my other books, why don't now you finish the manuscript, throw it away, <laughs> and do another one? And uh, of course, I haven't done that. Hmm. Coming back to that that definition you shared, and turning to to politics, uh, so through that lens of a finite and infinite game, a finite game being one that's played to win, and an infinite game being one that's played for the purpose of continuing play. Um, thinking about politics in, in my country and in yours, um, it, it would seem like that would be, for the most part, uh, what we see and, and what we hear about uh, in politics and in political life, a, a pretty finite game happening there. Would that be a fair assessment in your view? Well, yeah, actually, it's it's a pretty good mixture, to tell you the truth. Um, hmm. It would be, you, you, you would think of it in terms as a, you'd think of it as a finite game, if you're dealing with uh, an autocracy of some kind, uh, you know, I would, uh, today there was a long article about uh, Xi Jinping now being uh, the, the uh, you know permanent ruler of, of China. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty finite uh, enterprise. Uh, but on the but in in liberal so-called liberal politics, and I'm not really talking about Democrat, Republican mm-hmm. so much, but but liberal in the sense of uh, a free, open, critical look at the kinds of things we do publicly and societally with each other. Uh, the, the, uh, there's a lot of theory out there and a lot of policy uh, meant to keep, uh, to use a very simple phrase I use, to keep people in play, uh, keep them from dropping out. And there, there are very good economic reasons for keeping everyone in play. Uh, instead of, if, if I mean, we know that once the uh, economic benefits shift in one direction, so that the rich become richer, the poor poorer, the whole society becomes poorer. Uh, and it would be much richer culturally and economically if we could figure out ways of of keeping the, the uh, of keeping those who are about to drop out from from doing that and try to keep them in the game, keep them viable uh, in in one way or another. And that means a lot of creative 
uh, political strategy, political and social strategy. It's not easy to do. But right. a lot of people are dedicated to doing that kind of thing. So, so that sounds uh, somewhat like you're talking about sort of social policy there and uh, how we structure wealth and, and economics. I wonder if we're talking just about power. Um, I guess my sense is that there are a lot of finite players, e- even if perhaps there's a, uh, a bigger game uh, happening at the, at the policy level. But in terms of you know, who's in power and who's not, it would seem that the way, uh, and I may be very wrong and happy to be proven so, but that the way that uh, power is negotiated is, is often done so by, by finite players. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, you're 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 absolutely when you when you think of when you uh, the word power, the notion of power, of course, is a finite game uh, matter, right? Because you're talking about who can overpower. Look look for a moment at the at the, at the nature of power. You only have as much power as you have resistance to it. In other words, if if I uh, if I just push you down and you just stand there and fall like a you know an empty sack, uh, that's mm-hmm. not a very powerful act. But if you stand up against me and push back, then the amount of power I have is being tested. Right. And the, the 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 more pushback I get from you, the more I can the more power I require, and 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 so on. So that the power is an oppositional notion. That, that people who want power need resistance to that power. And, and so therefore it's always a kind, a kind of, uh, it's a kind of struggle, one over against the other. And, and there are other complications that come into it, but, but I think that that's a, that's a feature of, uh, of our uh, public life for sure. Hmm. I guess thinking of the uh, you know typical uh, person who gets engaged uh, in political life, uh, at least the people that we, we often work with in our work uh, at Springtide, this is going to be an oversimplification of their their story and their journey. But usually, it starts with some level of frustration about the way things uh, are working, or the way policies are working, or the way leaders are behaving, and and eventually, you know, at, at a small level, uh, manifests in someone trying to advocate for change at uh, at a local level or, or at a level that doesn't require them to get involved into um, electoral politics themselves. And then, you know, at the, the other end of the spectrum, they say, you know, I'm the one that has to make this change. The only way to do it is to uh, run for office, put my name out there, create a party, you know, any of these. If one of those people came to you and said, you know, I really don't want to get stuck in the sort of rat race, finite game of in it to win it politics, but actually want to make some change, I can see the infinite games, the the aspirational descriptions of it that you've put out there in your work as being appealing to some of those people. How would you counsel or advise somebody that is is looking to to make their engagement in uh, a political world more more infinite than play than finite play yeah i another number of factors here uh number one um the first thing one does is to develop a really careful understanding of what's happening uh in other words really being educated about a certain issue and those issues can be very, very complicated. They look simple at, at, at the beginning, but the more you look at them, the more moving parts they have. I mean, just the, uh, take the, 
let's say we want to do something like reduce poverty. Hmm. Uh, That's fine. That's a terrific goal, and I, I, I wish everyone were committed to it. But on the other hand, poverty is not a simple phenomenon. Uh, it, re- it has all kinds of elements in it, psychological uh, as well as, uh, of course, economic, uh, but geographical, racial, ethnic, cultural, and so on. Um, and uh, the, the, to get a deeper understanding, that, that to, to really get down in the issue you're interested in and become very well informed about it, uh, read about it. Look, there are probably studies on it and so on. Number one, that, that, that's the number one thing I would suggest. Number two, be innovative. Uh, try things that haven't been tried. Uh, I, ideas are very powerful. And the, in fact, you know, well, as a philosopher, naturally I would think this, mm-hmm. uh, that it's really ideas that determine the world, frankly, to tell you the truth. And uh, so... So developing new ideas and being critical of those new ideas at the same time is really also crucial to the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, no, there are no simple techniques. It really is a kind of process of self-information and, uh, and venture and invention and creation and so on, uh, all of those things. There aren't formulas. There, there are really modes of approach that I would suggest. The other piece that I found uh, helpful uh, that I think of regularly in in your work is the idea of of boundaries versus horizons. And, exactly. No, that's a very that's 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 appropriate here. Yeah, and I, I, I think of it sometimes from the perspective of we often hear people uh, who are rising to power. You know, there's one set of promises um, from the outside. You know, there's a set of promises. Uh, they get into power. They don't necessarily deliver on all of those. But the message is, you know, well, now on the inside, we can see that things are different than we thought, um, which from the outside can sound like, uh, you know, people are, are being wishy-washy. But in some cases could be sort of like, well, you know, the, the horizon has shifted now and, and there are a different set of circumstances that are visible to someone inside versus outside, though not necessarily. Well, uh, it, it might be uh, useful right here to uh, show to make the distinction between boundary and horizon a little yeah. a little more clear, and that is a boundary exists wherever uh, there uh, is a, a limit to and an opposition to one's activity or territory or uh, or uh, property and so on. Uh, but a, and a, a, a strong boundary needs opposition on both sides, uh, uh, whereas a, a, a horizon, we all the, a horizon, we you can walk to your boundary. You can draw a line right right across. You know, actually, I, I love that place in Kent in uh, in Vermont where the line goes through the the the, uh, the line goes through the library. I forget the name of that town, but. But I've been there. The line, the, the border between Canada and the, uh, the United States goes right oh, wow. down yeah. through the center of the library. Anyway, um, so so you could walk to a, a boundary, but but a horizon, the horizon uh, is is the limit of your vision. So anytime you move in any direction, your horizon moves with you. You can't walk out to the end of your horizon. Uh, but by, by the time you get there, you've got a new horizon. And mm. and I think uh, anyone who wants to engage in social activity, social improvement, 
or engage with the world in any way should really think in a horizontal way. That is to say, they should expect that as they go along, their, the limit of their visions will, will change. Uh, and I think that's what you were implying, but I just thought I would, I would draw yeah, that no, out. And that's absolutely true. So, th- so that um, uh, a horizontal way of thinking is, that, is, to, is to remind yourself that you really don't know what lies beyond that horizon. And you've got to change yourself. You have to move to another position, take another, you know, t- take another five steps and your horizon will change. Uh, you don't, a boundary you keep the same. Uh, mm-hmm. Over a period of time. Uh, by, by the way, it's, it's amusing. I just did an aside here. Um, there's, a, as you know, there's huge boundary discussions right now in the United States having to do with Mexico, because mm-hmm. we're, we're uh, some people consider it a, a hostile or a, or a oppositional uh, relationship. Whereas right. it's really hard to find a boundary between Canada and the United States. I mean, you can walk all over the place and not see boundaries, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, because there's, not, there's no opposition to speak of. And I've, I've, hiked, I've hiked all through, uh, uh, you know, up into uh, you know, Minnesota and, and uh, up into, the, into the, the Rockies and so on. I never saw any sign of a, of a, of a boundary. Is it dangerous uh, to try and practice infinite play in a in a world or or when you're encountering you know finite players or when they're not necessarily in the same headspace? And I wonder, you oppose a, a finite game with a, with an infinite game? Yeah, I think that's what <laughs> no, I'm asking. No, you can't. No, you can't do that. It's not as though you you now take up a a new oppositional stance to, you know, say, I'm going to come in here with my infinite game and clean out all you finite players. <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> like that. Because right. of what I said before, that the first thing you have to do is look at yourself, deeply uh, look at yourself, and find out what's going on out there and be very, very, very good student of it and so on and be creative uh, rather than oppositional very hard to do it's a, it's a difficult challenge i'm not proposing easy solutions <laughs> no <laughs> well i guess i wonder is part of the game of infinite play pretending to be a finite player when it's helpful to do so well oh yes well you know i have no opposition to finite play uh-huh. uh only only in certain circumstances where the uh where the, the Let's call them the the losers. Those who who don't win the title at the end are are left in some state of uh, you, you know have uh, have been damaged in some way and and are what we usually refer to as the losers and 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 uh, mm-hmm. write them off the page. Uh, no, the, the finite finite play finite games are. Are terrific. I mean, I was all, I've been a finite game player of various kinds my whole life. But the the important thing is to uh, to know the limits of its value and mm. where it belongs. And and uh, uh, so people, you know, there's you have to maintain a kind of playfulness about your your finite play. For yeah. example, I play I play Scrabble with a lot of my uh, with some of my friends. I mean, a typical 
a kind of uh, retired guys in activity. <laughs> and uh, I can't tell you uh, who's good and who isn't. You know, the process <laughs> goes so smoothly. There's a, somebody always wins, but but I, I, if I look back over it, I can't figure out who are the big winners are, the big losers, and so on, because the the game itself was so fascinating along the way. Uh, that, that so I'm I'm very much in favor of finite games when you think of it in those terms. Hmm. I wonder, um, thinking of it in um, in the world of of what's happening in in society and, and politics today, are there examples that you? Uh, have seen recently of um, uh, people playing a, a more public game that perhaps listeners will be familiar with uh, in a in an infinite way uh, or in a way that sort of challenges our uh, our understanding of the way these games often have to play out. Yeah, I think I think a uh, number of things are happening. The the uh, there's a, there's a much greater awareness of. Uh, sexual and psychological issues than there used to be uh even mm. when i when i was a when i was a professor you know i i've been retired for a number of years but uh there was no lgbt issue when i was a professor now that's much more interesting and much more uh probably uh helpful and useful uh for students and for not only for students, but for young people, people of all ages, really, and and uh, uh, that that kind of humanizing th- process seems to be uh, going on in a, in a number of ways. Uh, more more consciousness about sexual abuse and and how one behaves sexually with another, and and so on. Uh, also, more sophistic- uh, sophisticated uh, conversation about. Uh, about money, what it does to us, what it does for us, and does against mm. us, and so on. Uh, the field of economics is going through some very interesting uh, changes in that respect. And um, I see a lot of that. Of course, I'm looking at it, you understand, as an educator, because I think mainly the way you get into an infinite game analysis of things uh, is a more penetrating understanding of what really is it. it happening there in other words extending your horizon into it there is is, is quite a bit of that right now in society uh and you know nonpartisan, but but introspective and and uh, uh critical uh, critical examination of of what it means to be poor or rich or uh and, and so on uh and to uh, encourage the uh encourage uh, the arts in every possible way. I'm curious what you, your sense is of what the the influencing factors are to seeing more of these, as you call them, more sophisticated conversations and considerations of of issues that have been with us for a while. Are there contributing factors that make it more likely for the conversation to expand in that direction? I, you know. I'm, of course, I'm an educator, so I, I think this way. But, mm-hmm. uh, but to inf- inform yourself uh, again and again uh, with with issues, uh, to read extensively, uh, to uh, talk and listen, especially listen uh, to uh, other uh, points of view. There is a 
in in spite of all this kind of uh, extreme oppositional stuff that's going on uh, with Trump and so on in the in the United States at the moment, there are people who are saying, "Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute." Uh, there are people out there Trump was listening to, but we were not. And hmm. we better we better uh, pay attention to our own insensitivities uh, in these respects. So uh, I I really celebrate that kind of that kind of attitude and anything anything that does that. It seems like with the ideas that you present in your book, and it just so happens a lot of the the things we talk about on this podcast, uh, they're kind of the opposite of intuitive sometimes in terms of, you know, when you read them, you can see, yeah, that makes total sense when you lay it out uh, logically and, and rationally. If those ideas are, are true and, and effective in practice and useful, a good future depends on us being able to make those things more intuitive. And I, I just wonder if you've uh, explored that. Um, well, I'm not sure what you mean by intuitive. You mean... Uh... Well, maybe instinctive is, is a better word for what I mean. Um, it seems like our instincts, my instincts, uh, tend to push me towards, we would label it as a, uh, winning a finite game. Like, that's where my, my first sure, thought generally sure. goes towards. Right. It's, it's the second that's or third the normal or fourth human thought I'd ever reach. Yeah. Um, it's a tough question, I guess I'll say. And I, I wonder about it a lot when it comes to how we structure the future. What do we do with that? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the first thing you do is look at, Look at your, look at yourself. You know, we're already we're we're already back at Plato. The unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've you've got to examine your own life. You've got to take account of the, of your own investment in finite accomplishment, uh, and and ask yourself. Now wait a minute. Uh, this will serve me well. What are its deeper, broader implications? And mm. and most people I know run into in life are are really just busy doing their jobs, you know, and trying to stay alive and so on. Uh, and so it's difficult to step back and and make that 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 self observation. That yeah, I, actually I think of it as as a self a, a form a very sophisticated form of self criticism. Always looking to see what it is you really want out there. Uh, so it has it has a personal edge, but but also in our in our life overall, it has a political and societal edge. It's the way we we uh, it's the way we conduct our families. It's the way we conduct our politics and so on, um, and the way we uh, we conduct our professions and earn our fortunes is to uh, uh, look at. I I think it, it should be to look at uh, what it is we really want behind all of this. Let me pull something out of the book. Uh, it's interesting why someone would play a finite game. Now, what is it you win when you f- win a finite game? You win a title. A title. You've, you've, you've now bit, you are now the winner of that particular uh, game. And but yeah. what is a title? A title is something that 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 you don't possess. Actually, it's given to you by an audience, by a, a crowd, by others, and so on. It's a recognition that you've won this game. Now, uh, 
why do you want that recognition? Why are you moved? Why are some people moved really furiously to win their finite games? It can only be that they do not have, they feel they do not have that recognition yet. In other words, they're really playing against themselves. And and therefore, a lot of motivation in a finite game, this might confuse you a little bit, but you might have to play it over again, but a, a lot of confusion in a finite game is that we, we we don't realize that what we're trying to win is the recognition that I, I, I want to prove to you that I am not the loser I think you think I am. <laughs> so because because after all you're the judge of my title you know you you're the one that bestows the title so I, I have to assume by engaging in some kind of really active finite game that I'm being judged a loser until I win mm-hmm. but but that may not be the case so that so we we may be living in uh, in a fictional world in that in that sense so it's complicated really psychologically uh, and philosophically complicated but that's I appreciate you sharing that. That I, I'll say it again. I don't want to be the loser. I think you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds a little a little crazy, but but if, you have to re- reflect on that a bit. I feel like there's a initial comic element to it, and then there's a a, a deeper. Um, yeah, there is a comic element. To it as well. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought I'd maybe just close by asking you. Uh, you've had this book out there for a while now and what are some of the things you've heard about in terms of the impact it's had on, on other people and how they've applied oh, I got I got an awful lot of response to yeah. uh, people who say they've uh, they've gone into these deep reflective uh, periods of their life uh, they read and reread the book and so on uh, and uh, it's, it's it's a book that it's a strange book in a way because it either has no impact. I mean, some people look at it and say, oh, my God, this is all abstraction and, and it's complicated and difficult and so on. And it is. It is. It's not a, it's not a particularly simple book. Uh, mm-hmm. But other people look at it and begin to uh, uh, feel a kind of transformation going on. I'm, I'm, I'm quite surprised myself by the the level and intensity of the of the the response that response that I got from people uh both uh you know through uh, public events and through uh email and and uh book reviews and so on is there anything i guess uh, this many years away from it that you now wish you had included well uh yes i uh, i wish i had stressed the ineradicability of evil a little more than I did. I mean, I made the point in the book uh, that evil is, is, uh, is, is with us pretty mm-hmm. permanently. But I think if I were to rewrite it, and I would love to rewrite it, but Simon and Schuster <laughs> likes the way it is, so I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, but I would do that. I would, I would talk about the, the, just the, the persistence of evil in the world, it's just shocking to me, really shocking. I wonder, I mean, you have a very uh, compelling definition of evil. I wonder if you could share that. Well, yeah, I mean, evil, uh, evil is a finite game that swallows infinite games into itself. 
let's say I'll give you a good example. <clears throat> when uh, when the uh, when Europeans settled or came first arrived at, in the New World, there were ten, uh, scholars have estimated there were ten thousand different languages spoken here. Ten thousand different mm. languages each with its own mythologies, its poetry, its stories, its legends, and so on, uh, its skills, its talents, its amusements. Uh, now they're, they're, they're just handfuls of, of languages. They're, they're gone. They're gone forever. Uh, their cultures are gone forever. Uh, that's evil. Uh, you know, just because mm-hmm. the Spaniards or the English wanted more gold and, and silver, uh, that 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 uh, eliminated these 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 splendid civilizations and cultures and so on uh without a trace uh, or scarcely a trace mm. uh most of them we don't even know about so that's that's an example uh, you know we we we've, we've also got of course the holocaust and a lot of other horrible things but but um there there are plenty of example of examples out there right now and i guess you're saying that the the message you wish you could have I guess added emphasis to is that all of that evil is ineradicable. It's uh, uh, ultimately evil is ineradicable. Yeah, hmm. I mean we just will not do away with it. Right. In fact, in fact, there's a danger in trying too hard to do away with it because most most evil is done by people who want to do away with evil. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean the Nazis thought Jews were evil. Uh, and so on. They they thought they were uh, larvae, insects, you know, horrible disease-causing things, uh, uh, and and uh, and they thought they were doing a great thing for the world. So uh, we have to be very, 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 very self-aware and self-critical uh, when we talk about evil, because evil lies within all of us, of course. Mm. Um, I'm just conscious of the fact that we've turned in a, a not necessarily hopeful discussion, but I'm trying to uh, think of a, a more, uh, not that we need to You want to go out on a more positive out. note, right? Well, <laughs> well it wouldn't hurt. Look, yeah, uh, the, uh, think of it this way. Our horizons are, if, if evil is ineradicable, our horizons are uh, infinitely extendable. And and therefore, there's so much about the world that we need to know and can know, and and uh, uh, and it's just waiting for us to discover. So I I would I come out saying, look, listen, move your center, move the center of your point of view, walk to your horizon and see how limited it is, see what lies beyond it, uh, because that's infinitely expandable. That was this week's episode of the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can find any links to articles, resources, and books that were mentioned in the show by scrolling through the episode description and show notes over at springtide.ngo slash gya6. Govern Yourself Accordingly is a podcast produced by Springtide. We're a Canadian charity committed to helping you lead change through politics with your integrity intact. Find us at springtide.ngo, facebook.com slash springtideco, or over on Twitter at Springtide Co. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Coffin. 
Subscribe to the podcast. Search for Govern Yourself Accordingly wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening on a web browser, you can also subscribe for email updates. If you look in the right-hand sidebar on this post, punch your email in and get a message whenever a new show is released. There are a couple things you can do to help the show. A big one is rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. If you have a second, just make a star rating between one and five stars. If you have a whole minute, write a one-sentence review that tells us and other people why you plan to keep listening. It really helps the show. Enjoy this podcast on Facebook or Twitter. You can find an easy-to-share link at springtide.ngo slash gya6. Better yet, share this episode with somebody you think will appreciate hearing from you and hearing this conversation.